Charles Clark says sorry for a serious screw-up at the Home Office. John Prescott says sorry to his wife for screwing around. And Patricia Hewitt doesn't say sorry at all for health service job losses and is jeered and slow handcapped by the nurses for her trouble, despite all that money she's poured into the NHS. Well, it's not every week that Downing Street has to express confidence in quite so many ministers, as that euphemism for get lost, we're not sacking them is generally known. Hello, this is Michael White, and you're listening to Westminster Weekly, the Guardian Unlimited's political podcast. Joining me today are the Conservative MP for Wantage, Ed Vasey, close confidant of Dave the Chameleon Cameron. Hello, Ed Vasey. Hello, Mike. I didn't know that's how you pronounce chameleon. Thank you, Very Ed. Chic. And uh, also, <laughs> uh, correcting my grammar and pronunciation is Elaine Marl Holland, public policy correspondent of Guardian Unlimited, here to tell us about her travels on the local election campaign trail. Hello, Elaine. Morning. And also, the Guardian super sleuth, David Henke, will be joining us to bring us the latest on cash for honours. David's whereabouts are always a closely guarded secret. The Guardian Podcast, sponsored by Volvo. The all-new Volvo C70 invites you to feel, open up, and see what's driving the real movers and shakers of the world. Our top story undoubtedly this week was the revelation uh, from the Home Secretary, combined with an apology uh, for allowing 1,023 foreign prisoners to be released from our jails without being considered for deportation. 900 of them, including three murderers and nine rapists, were still at large, uh, are now being hunted by officials and probably by tabloid reporters too. Yes, it seems to defy belief, and as Tony Blair put it, it was deeply regrettable. Uh, But was it a resignation issue? Ed Vasey. Michael Howard, former Home Secretary in the 90s, joined calls for Mr Clark's head yesterday in the Commons, but he presided over waves of disasters at the hands of the courts and others during his tenure on that bed of nails, that tragic house of horrors which is the Home Office, including, if I remember, the release of 541 prisoners because their sentences had been miscalculated. So, was that chutzpah for him to join the calls, or did he have a case? I I think he did have a case. I mean, I totally agree with you that... um uh, as I was saying yesterday, that if you are the Home Secretary, you take the job knowing that events more than, say, in any other department are likely to overtake you. Uh, prisoner escapes being obviously the classic example, and Michael Howard certainly had a few of those in his time. And I think that uh, there was a recognition of that when the story first broke, which is why the Conservatives didn't call for Charles Clark's resignation on the basis, as the story first broke, that... Uh, a thousand odd prisoners had been released who should have been considered for deportation. I think the story changed because it was then revealed that when the Home Office knew this was a problem and knew something had to be done about it, it carried on. This was the, last the, August, uh, exactly. since when 288 the, more The key released. figure of 288. And, and when Charlie Clark went and offered to resign to Tony Blair... Tony Blair didn't know that. Blair didn't know yeah. that. But uh, ha- having said that, Blair said, we did discover this problem in August, we <clears> threw <throat> more money at it, <clears throat> three million extra quid and extra staff, and not much happened. And the truth of the matter is, you've been around Whitehall, is that the Home <clears> Office <throat> is in many ways one of the least responses, uh, uh, responsive of departments, that Michael Howard used to say, the canteen culture of the police and yeah. the sentence. Labour MP pulled me aside yesterday in the corridor at Westminster and said, it's full of 60s sociologists, you know. They blame society for crime. This is a Labour MP. bit right-wing, mind you. but uh, uh, A Labour MP who believes there's no such thing as society, probably. <laughs> well, possibly so. Uh, nonetheless, uh, Michael Howard brazened out all sorts of calls for his resignation. I can't find, going through the records, any Home Secretary who's been forced out of this dreadful job. Uh, why should Clark go? 
Well, as I say, I think that the key difference is that when he knew about the problem, nothing was done about it. And going back to oh, what ministers Ma- asked well, for no, things go, to be done, go, go, but they going, no, done. well, go, I mean, uh, Michael Howard was uh, on television yesterday talking about how he ran the Home Office and. I think he was a very successful Home Secretary, and there's the But he distinguished between operational matters, as he called them on a famous occasion, and policy matters. The Quite right, but I think... The policy was set to do <clears> something <throat> about this last August, and it didn't happen. Quite right, but I think when you... When a minister actively decides to intervene because the operation of the policy is going wrong... You're making me sound like Michael Howard now. When the operation of the policy oh, has gone... to be much tougher than that. <laughs> when the operation of the policy has gone wrong, then I think the buck stops with the minister. And the, and the point... Michael Howard was making yesterday was, you know, if I had discovered this was a problem, I would have sat my officials down and said, I want daily reports on what we're doing about this. I absolutely want to know day by day what is happening about this problem. And I don't think Charles Clark did that. Okay, good answer. Now, this was, of course, the topic chosen by the Conservative leader, David uh, Cameron. I hope that I've pronounced that right. At question time in the Commons (laughs) on Wednesday, uh, uh, the Guardian Steve Bell depicted depicted Mr Clark's head in front of an open goal. Well, here if uh, Mr Cameron got the ball into the net. We actually learnt this morning that the Home Secretary offered to resign. That actually contradicts what Downing Street said yesterday. They were asked, has Charles Clark or anyone else offered to resign? And they replied, no. That is the sort of thing, Mr Speaker, we've just come to expect routinely from this government. Can the Prime Minister answer this? When the Home Secretary offered to resign... Did the Prime Minister know that even after the government was told about systemic failure, 288 prisoners were released without being considered for deportation? I do not accept that the Home Secretary did not act on this matter. He did act for the very reasons that I have given and in the way that I have just described. The fact of the matter is that there has been action as a result of people realising that there were cases that should have been considered pre-release that were only considered post-release. There is now a system in place, however, for the first time since these procedures began, which will allow us to make sure that all cases are considered pre-release and deportations follow... Questions for the Prime Minister. Uh, Tony Blair in an impossible position there yesterday, pretty lacklustre, I thought. Uh, A little while later, uh, Elaine... Charles Clark's Norwich neighbour, fellow Labour MP in the city of Norwich, Ian Gibson, who's an old friend of his who spends his entire time persecuting the Home Secretary, went on the radio and said, of course, uh, I hope Charles gets this sorted out, he's a good bloke, he's a strong Home Secretary, blah, blah, blah. But then the killer punch, of course, if one of these people we've let go uh, turns out to have committed another very nasty crime, well, that could be difficult for my friend and neighbour. It's uh, a good point, isn't it? Uh, is the media, do you think, looking for that connection at the moment? I suspect that they're going to be looking very closely for that, but I'm also uh, suspecting that they're looking for some of these people who are out in the community who shouldn't be there, who should have been deported. And I'm sure the tabloids are putting a lot of energy into trying to track some of these people down. So whether or not they commit further crimes, it will be a story either way if you just find people and put a face to them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this has been quite difficult. I mean, journalists in the last 24 hours, I think Ming Campbell, the Lib Dem leader, said a Nigerian had been allowed to walk free from prison when he should have been deported. He got it wrong. Well, everybody makes mistakes. But the Home Office, of course, uh, traditionally doesn't discuss individual cases. So the press goes and asks about what happened to so-and-so and him, and uh, he was a mass murderer, or he'd been offending in this country since he was 13, and the judge said he should have been deported at 17, and, and they, of course they blocked them all. 
Are you saying that you think they'll be hard to track? Yes, yeah. on, the, on the evidence, yeah. yeah. But I think uh, dedicated journalists and um, with uh, the contacts that they have may s still find somebody um, by talking to communities, talking to prison officers possibly. So I'm still thinking that maybe even if another crime isn't committed, we'll get a story in the next couple of weeks. Ed Vesey, is there an element of buck passing here? Reading the newspapers, you thought prison service explaining how they didn't get a lot of help from the Home Office mm. and no requests and so on and so forth. The prison services difficult job to do. They don't do it with great distinction. British prisons, a conservative councillor told me yesterday he knows them well, not, I should add, for being a prisoner, <laughs> but uh, involved in voluntary work and says, you know, they, they are a disgrace uh, and no government has done anything enough about them for a long time. And then the Immigration Nationality Directorate, which also has notorious problems, which again stretch back to uh, the Michael Howard, Willie Whitelaw years. Yeah, I think there is a, a huge crisis in morale, actually, uh, throughout the prison service and probably throughout the Immigration and Nationality Directorate. And again, somebody was saying uh, yesterday that there are probably people who have just literally kind of given up on their jobs. You know, they're just so fed up with the constant uh, attacks and second-guessing and so on. And, and one of the elements, apparently, behind this whole uh, problem was the fact that, you know, the government had made the removal of failed asylum seekers a priority, so they <coughs> sent the Immigration National Di Directorate off in that direction. I mean, the policy is quite clear, and it's what David Ramsbottom, the former Chief Inspector of Prisons, was recommending in 2001, which is where you deal with these prisoners, you know, six months before they're due to be released. You get all the papers sorted so they come out of prison and go, go on a plane and get deported. And I know it's not difficult because I've had it, as it were, the other direction. I've had a paedophile land in my constituency who has lived in Australia since the age of eight, but the minute he got out of prison, the Australians put him on a plane, sent him to my constituency. Oh, we read about that case. Well, double whammy. Yeah. We're getting them mm -hmm. back, but we're not uh, sending back our share. I wonder if I could catch this question to you both another way and say uh, Britain has, you know, won plaudits in all sorts of quarters for allowing uh, uh, EU nationals from the new members in Eastern Europe to come into this country and work, and on holiday we've had millions of them, and the general feeling is that it's good for the economy, but presumably part of the downside is that you get all sorts of unsuitable people. We had a, a nasty rape case involving, I think, a Latvian or an Estonian a few weeks ago, uh, that it overwhelms both the IND, the Immigration Service, and at another level, the Prison Service. Elaine, do we know any evidence of that? Do you pick that up that at all? Well, I think the assumption shouldn't be that it's a one-way process. I mean, I think Britain probably exports quite a few criminals as well. We've got um, the, uh, what's his name, Gary? the singer from the 70s who's just been jailed in, in Thailand. I thought you were going to say Gary Lineker's brother <laughs> for a moment. <laughs> We've got the, we had a, a guy last year in Spain who was um, jailed for raping several women yep. and murdering them. And I don't think the problem is just a one-way street. Mm -hmm, I think a lot mm -hmm. of people leave England and commit horrible crimes elsewhere. Right, uh, enough of that score. Uh, John Prescott's problems. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when John Profumo, who died the other day, was caught out uh, lying about his relationship with the tragically beautiful Christine Keeler. That was in 1963. I was a 17-year-old sixth former at Bodmin Grammar School in Cornwall, and when I asked my seafaring old dad why Profumo would take such a risk with his career, uh, dad replied with characteristic candour. I still remember the phrase, my boy, a standing cock has no conscience. Uh, this was shrewd advice as ever from the old man. Uh, uh, but when Cecil Parkinson, Michael Thatcher, uh, my, um, but when Cecil Parkinson, Margaret Thatcher's trade secretary, was caught playing away from home with a woman whose affections were less easily trifled with, she went on to ruin him. This was in 1983. My father was long dead. I had three kids of my own, but I found myself just as surprised as I had been 20 years earlier. 
beyond the embarrassment and the humiliation uh, Mr Prescott's wife Pauline must feel, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister, rather thin-skinned at the best of times, will probably be feeling pretty humiliated by the Daily Mirror's pictures of him cavorting with a junior official in his office, uh, splashed all over the other papers too. So, uh, Ed Vesey, is this a public issue or is it a private matter involving Mr and Mrs Prescott and uh, 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 Tracy, the ex-girlfriend, and her boyfriend in Hampshire? Is it one at all that we should be discussing? Uh, personally, I don't think it, we should be. I think it's an entirely private matter. It's got absolutely nothing to do with the way he, uh, he does his job. All I would say is you reap what you sow. And, and one of the reasons I think the newspapers are having fun at John Prescott's expense is because he had fun at the expense of Conservatives who behaved in a similar fashion uh, in the mid-1990s. Um, and I think if you decide that uh, you're going to attack your opponents on the basis of their <coughs> private lives, then... I'm afraid your private life has to be perfect. Yep, OK. I would press you on one point, though. Here you have a man in a position of considerable uh, power in a government, but it could be a private company, or it could, as sometimes happens, be in the military, uh, having an affair with a junior member of staff. And other people presumably know about it, and they are drawn into it, and you could uh, say this is a sort of abuse of a power or authority relationship, and it shouldn't happen, whether it's the Army, Marks and Spencers, or uh, the Office of the Deputy Prime Minister. Yeah, that is an interesting point. Funnily enough, the disgraced uh, Tory MP Keith Best, who now runs the Immigration Advisory Service, was making exactly that point uh, on the news last night. And, you know, there is an interesting argument. So should the Permanent Secretary at the Office of Deputy Prime Minister treat this as a, as a personnel issue? Because, well, what should he do? What uh, do you think? I'll leave it to him to decide, but certainly oh. I know that you know anyone listening to this who works in a private company who is having an affair at work, <coughs> it, it, it might well become a, a, a personnel matter. Elaine, how would this uh, 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 play elsewhere? Because I remember the late President Mitterrand of France during a British sex scandal saying, if I had to sack all the ministers who had mistresses, I would be left only with women and homosexuals. <laughs> Well, I, I think I would disagree with the point about when John Prescott was knocking the Tories in the sense that the Tories were promoting family values. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the inconsistency there, that you set yourselves up, really, in terms of saying, this is what we believe in, but we'll actually we don't live it. I don't think I've ever heard John Prescott rant on about family values. So in that way, I think it's less important. Because we so had a bit of this with David Blunkett, didn't we, where uh, he also had an affair within the private office. It's a very intimate group, the private office mm -hmm. of a minister. There are ten or a dozen of you, and you're all battling the fires of the day every day and there's a sort of, it's a bit like you know, being in a boat together. Uh, you're all on, on, on the team and uh, Blunkett had, and I think if I remember, the, the woman in the case was moved elsewhere, certainly not fired. But also, I mean, a lot, Blunkett aside, a lot of these politicians uh, have second homes, they live in London during the week, mm. they go back to their families at the weekend, they spend more time away from their families and with their secretaries often than, than, uh, than with their... Yeah. So you can kind of see how that intimacy builds up. Right. Further insight can be found behind the wheel of the new Volvo C70. Visit www.volvocars.co.uk. Uh, now to David Henke, uh, our sleuth in the dirty raincoat. Well, hello, I'm David Henke, the Westminster correspondent of The Guardian. And my sort of main remit um, has been following the whole uh, Cash for Honours scandal. And what I can tell you this week is, although there's not been much officially going on, while the police continue to pursue people over whether they may have been corrupt over accepting honours, a lot's going on behind the scenes. One of my sort of furry sort of animals on the um, Public Administration Committee 
um, has tipped me off that while they were up in Edinburgh, quite a few of them ganged up on the chairman of the committee, Tony Wright, and said, look, we don't know whether the police are really going to get anywhere. We've got to get on with our inquiry. Let's um, let's uh, tell the police when they come in about 10 days' time that basically we want to go ahead and interview the main witnesses who turned down peerages like Chamber tell and people like that and also bring in Lord Levy and reports are behind the scenes that the chairman has said well Lord Levy yes he must come and frankly was quite convinced that they ought to pursue this now all this is happening where at, at the time when the committee is still pursuing ethical issues and they had sat Alistair Graham the head of the committee on standards in public life the main sort of anti-sleaze watchdog before them and he today publicly criticised Blair for not giving enough high priority ethics and also disclosed the committee had wanted to do its own investigation two years ago. And guess what? The government turned it down. They didn't want an inquiry into loans for peerages. And they appointed Hayden Phillips, a senior civil servant, to do it instead, looking at honours. Now Hayden Phillips is back again, and and they are still, it is not solved. The only good thing that might come out of it is there are rumours that Hayden Phillips, desperate for a peerage himself, he's still sir, might well do quite well out of it. But I couldn't possibly think they would do that, really. Uh, thank you, David Henke. Uh, well, uh, Patricia Hewitt, the last of our ministers to be embattled or beleaguered this week. Uh, the Fleet Street clichés have trotted out in force. She was heckled by Unison, one of the big public sector unions, on Monday, and uh, on uh, Wednesday was hand-clapped by the Royal College of Nurses, uh, which the RCN, which is also a trade union, but because they're angels, we don't think of them that way. Uh, did she bring it on herself, I wondered, by telling everyone at the weekend that the NHS had had its best year ever when uh, some trusts, a minority, uh, have been shedding jobs or shedding openings and prospective jobs. Right, Ed Vasey, uh, is Patricia Hewitt uh, more sinning or sinned against on this one? Who's to blame for all these job losses? Uh, I think she is. I mean, I think that, funny enough, Patricia Hewitt is in more trouble than Charles Clark. Charles Clark's got to deal with a kind of one-off uh, huge error, whereas Patricia Hewitt is significantly undermining the health service. She's refusing to move on this and uh, as a constituency MP in Oxfordshire uh, the health authorities there are making drastic cuts, really significant deep cuts which are going to be almost impossible to restore. Elaine, you were at the Unison conference, what was the mood like? Uh, how did she handle it? Well, the mood wasn't great but having seen the RCN conference two days later, in comparison it was very um, uh, modest uh, in, in tone. They, but what was really interesting was at the Unison conference you had the uh, General Secretary Dave Prentice sort of precede everything by saying we will back industrial action if staff want, want it over the cuts and over the privatisation agenda of the government. We will back, not we will lead but we will support you if you want that. But before Hewitt came on, he urged them to listen to what she had to say, to engage with what she had to say, which was quite surprising, and so did the president. So Unison were kind of contained by the leadership. Um, and I understand that Patricia Hewitt was so distressed by the reception she got when she, she arrived at the conference in Gateshead that she asked, uh, I'm told, to uh, get a side entrance for the RCN conference because she just didn't want more of the same. And actually what she got on the conference floor was 
ten times worse. I've never seen the RTN react like that. What's going to happen here? What's your sense? You talk about strike action. Do we really think this is going to happen? I don't think we'll see strike action. Uh, now, next question is, how does this all play uh, with the voters when uh, uh, they go to the ballot box, those who bother, 30 or 40 percent on past performance? Next Thursday, uh, uh, May the 4th, uh, on the local elections, which are confined to England, but important, three or 4,000, 4,000 seats up for grabs. London, uh, Labour at risk of losing you know, eight or ten uh, of the boroughs it controls. Um, polls suggest that uh, a government's recent troubles haven't yet given a boost to the Conservatives, and that uh, some people are flirting a bit with the BNP. Uh, they like their policies, they don't like the BNP. And of course, in the Guardian's poll this week, uh, the Lib Dems, who suffered uh, all that Charles Kennedy trouble in the winter, bouncing back up to 23 or 24 uh, uh, points. So people have moved from Labour, but not to the Tories, parked their votes, as they sometimes do with the Lib Dems. Um, Elaine, uh, you've travelled about this local election much more than I have. How does it feel? Well, we went to Bradford, which is an interesting one. There's only six seats between the Tories. It's a minor, minority administration by the Conservatives in Bradford. Um, and Labour's... Uh, behind on 30 seats and there the, the the national politics are playing on the doorstep and both sides um i talked to people who were planning to vote tory they're not that impressed with david cameron they think he's a little bit too focused on the environment and they want to hear more about health and the economy um they they agree with philip davis some of them about the political correctness agenda which i thought was interesting and then we went to lambeth which is in obviously where all seats are up for re-election, unlike Bradford, where it's one in three. Um, everyone's out. It's uh, a Labour, uh, sorry, a Lib Dem Tory administration. There's two Tories on the cabinet. Now the Lib Dems and Tories work very well together and seem to have quite a um, harmonious working relationship. They've been in power for four years. Labour are absolutely desperate to get this one back. Um, and what the Lib Dems are complaining about is some really dirty sort of campaigning again on, on the doorstep by Labour. Um, we're just going to hear now Geraldine Evans and Jerry Baker, Jeremy Baker in the Norwood um, area talking about what they're up against on the doorstep because of what they've been saying about them. Okay. I did make a valiant attempt as a, as a new and moderately wet behind the ears councillor actually when, um, when we learnt that we were a Labour target ward um, I said I would go and speak to uh, Councillor Meldrum and you know agree the terms of a good clean fight I think I was laughed out of the room because, of course, um, I, th I think as much as anything, this is not not a particularly local campaign that they were running. It, it's 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 all the big, centrally run stuff that that's coming through, um, and there is no cleanliness about it. They've 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 been they've been pretty nasty, but but luckily, I think even. Even you know doorstepping people, people realise. I think there's an element of clutching at straws going on. There's some quite bizarre claims going around, and this, this. What sort of claims? Um, well. That we're pretending that we're not running the council. Yes, there was one that, that one that said that <laughs> Liberal Democrats are so ashamed of themselves that they're pretending to people that they're not running the council. But I was unaware of that shame, and in fact, I have been yeah proclaiming myself. Probably Liberal Democrat for some time now. I shall keep doing so. Apparently, we don't want any new police, and we're we're Just frittering money away. And yes, yeah. closing five swimming pools in actual fact, we're rebuilding them. And you just think. And and the thing is, of course, they have been very high-profile issues over the last four years. So in fact, most people are are moderately aware of what has been going on. We found canvassing 
um, a some people are quite cross, I think, with Labour that, that Labour are effectively treating them like idiots because you know they're aware of local issues and uh, having Labour roll in four years down the line and say it's all not true when in actual fact they've, they've been here and living it for the last four years is uh, quite insulting to, to people. Right, quick last question to Ed Vasey. How many seats does David Cameron have to win on Thursday next to stop the Daily Mail and Telegraph sniping at him? And how many does Tony Blair have to lose to get the skids properly under him? Because you want Gordon Brown in quickly, don't you, today, if possible? We'd like Gordon Brown in as soon as possible. I, I, think, I think we are going to do very well in London, and I think that will be... Uh, where a lot of attention will be focused. Thank you. Uh, fans of Dave, the uh, chameleon Cameron, if I've pronounced that rightly, get to see the little reptile again in a Labour's second party election broadcast tonight, which may or may not please the voters. Some of them don't like it. Uh, will it change your vote? We'll all find out next Friday. We're back on election day itself, when we'll be reminding you to vote your civic duty. Till then, goodbye. Guardian Unlimited.